0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This region is driven by knowledge workers in a bigger and bigger way. Well, where do you find this high-tech talent, particularly in areas like cybersecurity, big data, analytics, and similar? Where are the gaps in our community? What are we doing about creating these workers? And... Is this region ready to claim the mantle of being the place where digital convergence happens in the national economy? To discuss those issues and others, I'm joined here in the studio by three guests and experts. Dr. Ron Carmel is with the Kogod School at American University and the Business and the Capital Initiative. Jennifer Thornton, Director of Workforce Initiatives at the Greater Washington Partnership i Rob Terry, Senior Writer at Washington Business Journal. Great to have you. Good to be here. Thank you, you for having here. us. Well, Jennifer, I'll turn to you uh, first. The Greater Washington Partnership has been in existence now a, a year and a half or so. It's really focusing on making this region sing uh, economically. Why is talent the first big initiative, the Greater Washington Partnership approach? Why is it so important to us?
1: Uh, so the Greater Washington Partnership chose to focus on a very narrow set of issues where they thought we could make a difference by taking more of a regional perspective so with that transportation and skills and talent rose to the top of the uh, employers and entrepreneurs that form the greater washington partnership i would say uh, right now we're seeing some areas such as cyber where they're critically important to the economy yet skills and talent are really a limiting factor as to why we can't grow and do all the work that we'd like to be doing in this region
0: I recall uh, talking, it may have been with some of your colleagues at Greater Washington Partnership, that the, the potentiality gap, you know, the lack of talent in this region is holding our economic growth down significantly.
1: Right. So, for example, uh, we we released a report back in December talking about uh, the importance of digital technology fields and cybersecurity to the region. Cyber, as the economic impact of cyber is more than $14 billion a year, which is nearly 2 percent of our GDP. The report also talks about the unique role of cyber also uh, plays to develop adjacent high-tech growth fields such as AI and data analytics. When you look at um, cyber jobs in this region and the number of openings that go unfilled, we really have a disconnect. So for example, taking a very, very narrow definition of cyber In 2017, we had 18,000 openings or 17% of the national openings located here, just in this region, spanning from Baltimore to Richmond. And if you take a broader definition, we had 52,000 openings in this region, which is also 18%. So it's a significant number of openings and a significant share of jobs and we have a significant mismatch in terms of being able to fill those jobs.
0: I'll come back to that because I think the mismatch is a big theme. Rob, Terry, I'm gonna turn to you. You've been looking at this region both as a writer, and then you you had some time working in a, a large integrator here in town. What's your perspective on the talent situation here?
2: A couple thoughts there. To Jennifer's point, companies are crying out for talent. Uh, There's no question about that. Uh, At the same time, I spoke to a Silicon Valley venture capitalist a couple weeks ago who had invested in a Herndon firm, a $21 million Series B round. He spoke very highly of the talent pool here. One of the things he pointed out was that it's not as competitive, say, as it is in Silicon Valley, which is why he likes to invest in companies here. But then you get to the issue of this old: is the talent pool too risk averse to uh, th- cast its lot with a cybersecurity firm? Or they do they prefer to stay in a you know comfortable government job? That's something that's uh, that these companies have to. Uh, so
0: your your understanding when you talk with uh, people who are invested in companies is that it may not just be a talent gap with respect to people who are willing to do the work, but their perception is there aren't enough people willing to take the risk of starting a business. That's correct. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Ron, I want to bring you into the conversation. Uh, I know that you've been working on this uh, with the team over at Kogod. What's your view of the entrepreneur community and the, and the talent involved in cybersecurity, high tech here?
3: Well, Jonathan, let me let me frame this a little bit for our discussion. So, like Jennifer at the Greater Washington Partnership, when we looked at this at the industries that are particularly strong in, in Greater Washington, cybersecurity is probably the number one industry that, that emerged here in the last decade. Um, that, that uh, is uh, relatively uh, strong in Washington. And, and another framing of this is that when you look at the big cybersecurity clusters or ecosystems around the world, there are three big ones. There's Silicon Valley, Rob, way at the top, and nobody can compete with Silicon Valley. Uh, nobody. And there's two other major ones. One is here in Washington, and the other is in faraway Israel. And of course, there are several others as well, but th- those are the big three. So those are the ones that are, I think are interesting to look at. And Washington is unique because, and this this uh, connects to our study, we examined uh, the the founders. And and why did we examine the founders? These entrepreneurial founders, because anecdotally, we think that we knew that um, that the, the the roots of these founders are in the ecosystem of Washington. Uh, the NSA, uh, the, the military, the Pentagon, um, the government, and the vendors that support them. Uh, but we never really had data until we conducted the study in the last year. We found um, 177 uh, pure play startups, both in products and services and solutions. And of those uh, of those companies, Seventy-two percent of them had founders, and quite a number of companies. There's more than one founder. Had at least one founder who came out of our national security ecosystem here, and so this is um, much higher than it would be in any other cluster. Uh, and so that's what that's one of the things that makes Washington uh, quite unique. It's an
2: invaluable resource, and it's not. It, it's very much like what we saw, I think, with biotechnology and the emergence back in the '90s and 2000s. The Wellspring there was NIH. You had all these companies formed to sequence the genome or to, to uh, develop new treatments. You're going to see the same thing now. Uh, and to your point about Silicon Valley, it's a great one. I don't think anybody's suggesting we need to eclipse Silicon Valley, but but we need to. I think we need to market the region in a stronger way as a cybersecurity hub. Uh, I, I think that's what it comes down to.
0: Well, when we come back after the break, it, it sounds to me that the conditions to create a really dynamic industry exists, but yet I continually hear from employers they can't find talent, so there's gotta be a disconnect someplace, and after the break, I think we'll talk about that. So, what's working, Washington, next year? We'll be right back. A thank you to our sponsor, JLL. JLL is a leading commercial real estate service company within the Washington, D.C. metro area serving the technology, government contracting, and professional services industries. JLL's strategy-led approach and expert implementation results in cost-effective and flexible real estate solutions that help their clients succeed and grow. I want to turn the conversation now to talent, the, the pyramid of talent, the whole conveyor belt from business founders to the people ultimately who join these companies as entry level positions and break it down a little bit. Around it, let's start with the founders. My impression of uh, this community as an investor and somebody who works a lot of cybersecurity startups is that we don't have a problem when somebody comes out of the government and has really strong. Skills. Uh, they don't. We don't have a problem finding enough of those people, or those people being able to successfully start businesses. What do you think?
3: As I said before, seventy-two percent of the companies had at least one founder who came out of national security ecosystem. Uh, of the two hundred sixty-four founders in our data, so that that's m- most of the companies, uh, close to most of the companies of of our region. Seventy-eight percent of them had cybersecurity experience when they founded the company. Hmm. So um, there is um, there is a basis at the top, at least, uh, in terms of the the founders. Uh, they, they are coming from a Google ecosystem, and they are coming with experience in cybersecurity.
0: I'll come back to you in a moment, because there's something interesting about your data I want to touch on. But before that, Rob, um, you follow a lot of the deal-making that goes on here, the financing. People say that there's a shortage of capital for cybersecurity startups. Do you think that's so? Certainly not
2: what I'm seeing currently in terms of anecdotes. I mean, it, not a day goes by without a <clears throat> seemingly a big funding announcement involving a cyber startup. I mean just this week, we learned about a company called Looking Glass out of Reston that acquired a cyber platform from Goldman Sachs, and they're going to commercialize that. This is significant for a couple of reasons. The big one to my eye being that it's a product play as much as a services play. Uh, a lot of the comp- a lot of the cyber firms around here focus on services. You can get a really big home run, though, with a product. So that's interesting. And then we learned about a company out of Fulton, Maryland, called IronNet Cybersecurity that closed a $78 million second round of funding led by a gentleman by the name of Keith Alexander. Who's Keith Alexander? Former director of National Security Agency. That's really significant. He's a really high-profile founder for this region to have.
0: And that, I think, is where I was going to Iran and, and Jennifer, I turned to both of you, it strikes me that unlike other places in the country, a lot of our founders aren't coming out of universities.
3: That's right. So uh, the, the data that we have about founders is, is pretty clear about that. Um, only um, 8% of the founders really uh, emerged in this field out of the university in either an R&D lab or as a professor in something that's related to this or, or, or something uh, vaguely like that. And that's low. If you think about it, universities are really in many uh, in many industries and in many disciplines. they're the incubator for for uh, startups. But that's not happening in cybersecurity one, yeah,
1: one other piece that I'll add to that is that cybersecurity jobs here are different than in the rest of the country, which would make sense why we're hearing that so many founders are coming out of security related jobs. So, 31% of jobs here are national security related versus 13% in the rest of the country. So it makes sense that that would be such a, a feeding pool into those founders. So there's a real significant difference there.
0: So our our Stanford or our MIT as it were basically is a national security establishment.
3: That's right.
0: Okay, so that, that explains where we get the people who have say the technology insight to be the driver of a new business. Jennifer, I'll turn to you now because I know that this is an area that that you and and others at the partnership have really been focusing on. It seems like when you move down the funnel away from founders to the people who are actually getting hired to do the work, we got a real problem.
1: We do. Uh, it's a significant problem. So, for example, I mentioned that uh, last year there were eighteen thousand openings y- using a very narrow definition of cyber. 52,000, if you use a broad definition, we had about 6,000 graduates in our region in cybersecurity. And um, the plus is that's the highest in the country. So we are producing the most, but you can see the disparity between those coming out of school with relevant degrees and the need that employers have. There's also a a disconnect in that um, most uh, employers, it's uh, about 85%, require three or more years of experience for entry-level jobs. So even though you're having students graduate with this degree, you can't immediately come out with three years experience. So we really need to take a look at aligning how employers look at their needs and what students can meet.
0: So we're literally in this perverse situation where we've got universities and and technical colleges, two-year colleges, creating a lot of skilled people but they don't have practical experience. Rob, I'm gonna turn to you, and I want you to think about this, because when we come back to break, we're gonna turn a conversation to what do we do about it. Isn't this really a problem of government procurement and how they look at hiring people? I wanna stop there. When we come back, we'll start with that conversation and what here in the region we can do about closing this talent gap. What's working in Washington, we'll be right back. And a thank you to our sponsor, Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation. Their business development team can help you find the best talent, an ideal location, and the latest in market and business intelligence so you can do business successfully in the greater Washington region and Montgomery County. Your business success starts with MCEDC. Connect with them at thinkmoco.com. Thank you to our sponsor, TEDCO. TEDCO invests in early-stage tech and life science companies, It provides resources and connections that companies need to thrive in Maryland. HEDCO's mission is to discover, invest in, and help build great companies. Learn more at www.hedco.md. Welcome back to this What's Working in Washington Extra. We're going to talk in this segment about how we can address the talent gaps that exist in our community and come up with some meaningful solutions so that we can grow the workforce and the economy we all want to have. I'm here in the studio with Professor Ron Carmel of American University's Business in the Capital, Jennifer Thornton, Director of Workforce Initiatives, the Greater Washington Partnership, and Rob Terry, Senior Writer, Washington Business Journal. Rob, before the break, I teed this up. We've heard from Iran and and you and and, and Jennifer that founders coming out of the federal government are, are, that clearly is having an effect. How about from the standpoint of employment? How is the federal government's employment practices, how does it affect the region and and how we're looking to grow our talent base? Well,
2: if we agree that the engine of this ecosystem here is the federal government, then it stands to reason that it has a big role to play there. I mean, annual unclassified cyber spending reached almost $20 in the most recent fiscal year, according to Govini out of Arlington. And That's more than double contract obligations from nine billion seen just five years ago. So, so the impact there is significant. I think what needs to happen to, to, uh, to a point Jennifer made earlier is we need to have a more creative conversation uh, about filling this gap, talk more about skills versus just regulatory box checking. You know, I mean, I, I'm covering a company out of Maryland called Tenable Network Security that's very likely going to go public very closely watched company. I mean, we we could be talking about a unicorn here, a valuation north of one billion with a B dollars. And in talking to their co-founder a little while ago, you know, one of the things he said to me was that you know they they still have a talent gap in finding people like project managers and and really skilled software developers. There's still that siren call from Silicon Valley that, that those companies attract this talent. So how do we get creative about about keeping them here? And we haven't even touched on security clearances, uh, which is, remains a huge issue.
0: That is it, Why is that a big issue?
2: We're not getting people cleared fast enough. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, I don't know if you'd want me to share them because they'd blow all our hair back. I mean, it's it's a real issue. And, I, you know, not a day goes by, seemingly, that I don't talk to a contractor or a cyber company that mentions in terms of filling talent. And Tenable is a great example. They're going to have to hire thousands of people, especially if they go public. It's one of their goals. Where do they find cleared personnel?
1: Well, and and just to add on to that, with these undergraduate students being in such high demand and that lengthy process, why would some of them want to go through it when they can get a job right out of school in a non-defense related company? So they could take an immediate offer right here versus going through what's a very lengthy, cumbersome process. So there's uh, some drawbacks to so many jobs here requiring a security clearance, even though we understand why it it is that way.
0: So as long as we're um, a large part of our industry is related to national security, our- are we saying that that we're always going to have a, a talent or an available talent gap because of the constraints of national security clearances? Is that just a fact of life here?
1: Well, I do think it goes back to what uh, Rob was saying, too. How do we get more creative? Can we potentially start getting people in the pipeline sooner for that security clearance so that they're ready to go at an earlier point in time? I also think as we look at the the gap... What are we, um, how are we preparing young people um, or folks coming out of the military, transitioning careers any other ways through uh, work-based learning experiences, internships or others? What are we doing to to get more people excited and beginning to get that work experience in cybersecurity? So I think there are things we can do there. I also think one could look at what are transferable skills and um, start adding on to those once they're within a company. So I think there are creative ways that industry could start looking at hiring talented people that may just not look like what they think they need, but could well do the job.
2: Even, right. even ahead, sorry to interrupt, John, but even going back before uh, college to high school, start teaching high school kids who are in STEM classes things like cyber hygiene so they don't post something stupid on social media that dings their national security clearance four or five years later. I mean, these are things that, that all need to be coordinated and really thought about creatively.
1: Within high school, that's when kids really are thinking about their path and what's available. So making sure that they know the huge role cyber plays in this region and the great economic opportunities that would exist if they chose that as a career path.
3: One of the largest companies in the region um, has a new program where they, um, they vacuum up young college uh, kids, uh, freshmen and sophomores, and give them paid internships uh, to do summer, uh, summer cybersecurity at their company. Um, So I think I would uh, suggest that other companies in the region start doing that as well.
0: You know, it seems to me that uh, we, in fact, have two different cybersecurity industries here. We have the government-related cybersecurity industry that provides a lot of our talent, and we have a smaller but hopefully growing commercial sector. And I think about Cap One, for example, um, like Mace and other companies that are uh, heavily involved in growing the region and employ a lot of people. I mean, they have profound cybersecurity needs. Jennifer, I've sat in some meetings with you, and and, and some of those employers and others, and it sounds to me like in the private sector, there's they all want experienced people. The experienced people aren't there. So what are they doing to solve that problem?
1: So I do think, uh, you know, you brought up Capital One, for example, and many other companies, they do internships. Just not enough. Um, I think the scale just isn't there to meet the need, which is understandably, you know, they are in business and interns uh, are not necessarily the most productive, but they can really help them grow their talent pipeline. Um, a number of companies are working closely with us and 12 universities to look at how do we work together in this region to really both help us be seen as a, a leading global hub and produce that talent. That we need within uh, digital technology areas, so we're really looking forward to some fascinating partnerships that are really productive to increase that the both increase the number of students coming out of um, undergraduate programs, but also the alignment with what they're producing and what employers need. So I think that's uh, we're, we're expecting some exciting things to come.
0: I mean, something has to break. Either employers have to be willing to take people on who don't have any experience at all, or they need we have to break this long jam. Iran, you you educate. Many people uh, at your university, you've been involved in this ecosystem over in Israel and so forth. Can you teach these kind of practical skills in a university setting?
3: Oh, yeah. This, this is a young discipline, right? So it's only really been around for 10, maximum 15 years, uh, for all intents and purposes. So, um, so th- we need more degree programs, and we, we need uh, more attractive degree programs and in, in a lot of ways in terms of the milieu to attract demographics. And, and let me bring up um, beginning to segment uh, our, our talent. So one of the things that we looked at in our founders' data, now th- this is just the founders, not the, hundred, the tens of thousands uh, that go into this is that in, uh, when we looked at women, um, only uh, 8% of the firms were founded, uh, had at least one woman in, in, amongst the founders. There's 22 companies, uh, pure cyber companies in the region that had it, uh, one or more women as founders, and, and that's, that's uh, low uh, if you look at uh, Crunchbase data. 17% of entrepreneurs are women. So in cybersecurity, women are, are definitely underrepresented. Every now and
0: then I get, I get a chance to talk with policymakers, and you do as well. I think this is one of these podcasts. I'm going to send a few of them. What's our best advice? What do people need to do?
1: One of the things I think policymakers can really look at is programs being offered at both four-year universities and two-year colleges and looking at the degrees and how how aligned degrees are with employer demand. Everybody wants students to come out and be able to uh, get a job. This is an area that there's a clear need. So how well aligned is that? And technical faculty, such as those in cybersecurity, they're expensive because they can make so much money on the private market. Are there other ways to fund to be able to have universities be able to get that faculty in that they need. Um, Also, I'd like to go back just a moment and and share how some of the other things that uh, businesses are doing to help universities are by supplying adjunct faculty and also by advising on capstone projects to help uh, really give that real-world information and perspective to students.
0: Robin, we've got about a minute left. If you were in charge and you were King, what would you advise somebody do?
1: One other thing on the policy front that I would add is how do we look at at uh, ensuring that girls and students of color also are in the pipeline to fill these jobs? We're very diverse, yet the cybersecurity field is predominantly white and male. So if we want to increase that pipeline, we really need to expand uh the communities from which their um, the the talent is coming. And so how do we encourage that, incentivize that? I think that could really be a big benefit to our community and also a differentiating factor.
0: Rob Terry, final thoughts?
2: Yeah, That's a great point. You know, I have a 14-year-old daughter and I'd be fine with her pursuing a career in, in, in cybersecurity. I know she'd have a comfortable, <laughs> comfortable life. Um, somewhat related to that is... Uh, I would just wanted to touch on just this whole drive for federal IT modernization. I, I think for this region, that's critical. That has to continue to be highlighted. It has to continue to be funded because then that obviously ripples through lots of cybersecurity work, be it, you know, resiliency or offensive cyber, defensive or analytics. And then what happens then, getting back to Iran's point about the ecosystem is you have government employees who work in cyber who have an idea and they leave, and they start a company. And if there's access to capital here, and if there's talent here, it all feeds on itself.
0: It all does feed in itself. Greatness is within our grasp, I think is the big message from our panel today. I was Professor Ron Carmel, American University Business in the Capital, Jennifer Thornton, Director of Workforce Initiatives, the Greater Washington Partnership, and Rob Terry, Senior Writer, Washington Business Journal. We've been talking about the cybersecurity industry and how we can make it grow faster and better in the D.C. region. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. A special thank you to our sponsors, Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation, JLL, and TEDCO. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Online writer, Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. Tweet us at at What's Working D.C. and tell us what you think of the show. Don't forget to like us on iTunes. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington. Download this show or any of our weekly programs at federalnewsradio.com. What's Working in Washington, Monday afternoons at 2.30 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m.